Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, glad you're with us. This is the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. Good, bad, and crazy. Less than a week until Election Day. Maybe a week till we know who won. Probably a little longer than that, uh, at least in some states. But uh, we will find out. Uh, We're almost there, everyone. We're almost there. But uh, let's start with our good martini heading into uh, Election Day. Of course, it's not just the presidential race, which looks to be getting tighter and tighter. But uh, there's also the Senate on the ballot, the the majority there, the majority in the House. Uh, And so a lot of folks are wondering who's going to have control of the Senate. And uh, whether Trump wins or Biden wins, uh, Republicans controlling the Senate will be critically important, especially if Biden wins. Uh, So the Senate Republicans are saying, we've done the job. We deserve to keep the majority. Here is their latest ad with Cocaine Mitch narrating. It all comes down to this. Everything we've fought for. The Supreme Court Judge Neil Gorsuch. Brett Kavanaugh is officially confirmed to the Supreme Court. voted to advance Supreme Court nominee Amy Coney Barrett. Everything we've accomplished. Tax overhaul passed the Congress. Yes, the middle class is helped by this. The Senate overwhelmingly passed a criminal justice reform bill delivering a bipartisan win. Senate Republicans really have gotten a lot done. The late nights, the early mornings, the door knocking, the phone banking. We've put in the work. We have the team. And the stakes couldn't be higher. You're considered the most liberal United States senator. I... Everything is on the line. Now there's only one thing left to do. Hold the line. Go vote. And so that was a 60 Minutes clip with Kamala Harris where Nora O'Donnell said, you're the most liberal senator. And, of course, Kamala initially laughed, uh, and then she had no answer for that. So, uh, Jim, this is obviously a, a pretty effective ad. Putting the Supreme, the three Supreme Court uh, confirmations up front is obviously good. Uh, there's less legislative accomplishments. Those are clearly from the first two years of the Trump administration, which is not surprising since Democrats have controlled the House uh, for the last two years, and there's not a lot that the two chambers are going to agree on. Uh, And then what you couldn't hear in the audio there, of course, is uh, bouncing from one uh, Republican Senate uh, incumbent, I think in most cases, um, to another and and showing them at work and and working with their constituents and so forth. Um, Who knows how much of an impact it'll have, but it's a good ad. It is. And I think one of the you know, interesting differences between this cycle and, say, two years ago, is that there really aren't that many endangered Democratic red state incumbents up for re-election. Um, Doug Jones is really the only one. And I think I saw a poll that put Tuberville up by, I want to say, two or three touchdowns. Um, <laughs> that's just one way of putting it, since he's a former football coach. By and large, most of the really competitive Senate races are on tough territory for Republicans this year. Uh, Collins up in Maine, uh, Cory Gardner in Colorado, and and even some of these open seat races in places like Kansas, where you look at that and you think, oh my God, this is the the land of Bob Dole. Of course, this is, you know, solid Republican territory. Mm, Not as solid as it used to be. Um, Nobody's, you know, Republicans should keep that seat. Um, Now, I think what might be, you know, one of the reasons I would nominate this, not just as a good ad, but I think a potentially good trend for Republicans, is look, Republicans, you know, the vast majority of Republicans want to reelect President Trump and they want to keep Republican control of the Senate. Interestingly, 
four years ago when the polling all suggested that Hillary Clinton was going to win. It was going to win by a very solid margin. You started hearing this subtle messaging, which was, look, if Hillary's going to win, then you need to keep Republican control of the Senate. Otherwise, uh, Hillary will be able to do whatever she wants. And you started, it was kind of this this almost, I don't want to say subliminal, I got it, turned it to George <laughs> W. Bush there, subliminal messaging, or just, just better just say subtle messaging of, look, maybe you like our guy, our nominee for president, maybe you don't. But if you got problems with the other party's nominee for president, then you want us in that Senate able to act as a check on their uh, ability to get things passed. We're going to block their worst ideas. There'll be certain areas we'll be able to come together for cooperation. But basically, we are the upside of divided government. We keep bad ideas from turning into law. Um, and I think the interesting thing, if you look back at this, you, that, they, there were a whole bunch of uh, you know, swing state Republican senators who really weren't expected to win last time. Almost nobody had Ron Johnson winning in Wisconsin last cycle uh, back in 2016. Uh, Pat Toomey in Pennsylvania was not seen as a sure thing in a very key swing state. And, you know, there's, a, there's one theory floating around out there that voters said, OK, Hillary is probably going to win. So I'll vote for the Republicans in the Senate races. So that way I have a check on her. <laughs> Except then she didn't win the presidential race. And all of a sudden Republicans got the best of both worlds and that they got everybody who was voting for the Republican senators as a check on Hillary. But they didn't have to deal with Hillary because they had President Trump in the White House. So, you know, I don't know if that's necessarily going to come to pass. But I think Republican messaging, emphasizing the importance of the Senate is important. Um, for everyone who's asking, what about the House? I think Republicans will pick up some seats in the House, although I just heard from somebody who said that the uh, those, you know, there are a couple of races in suburban districts in Texas that are apparently just looking terrible for uh, Republicans these days. You know, when Republic when Democrats won their majority in 2018. They won in some places like uh, Oklahoma City. They won in some places like my parents' district down in the southern end of South Carolina, Joe Cunningham. Um, Nancy Mace is a good shot at winning that one. That's a pretty darn Republican-leaning district. When you have wave years, you end up winning districts you never thought you're going to win. The question is then, can you keep them in the next cycle? And there, there are a good five or six districts where you, you ordinary circumstances, Republicans should win those seats easily. With, are, you know, are, they going to be able, are they going to be able to do it in a presidential year? Probably. Uh, you know, you just, you just don't know. I don't think Republicans are going to make up the 20-some seats they need to win back control of the House. But you, what you want to do is you want to get it closer, and then you're well-situated for the 2022 midterms. Take one bite of the, of the apple, so to speak, and then you can get the rest next time around. No, absolutely right. And another indication uh, of what it means that Republicans are defending so many tough seats in 2020 is that they won a lot of tough to win seats in 2014. In fact, I remember talking to you the day after the election, Jim, and you said, uh, it's kind of like I'm walking through a spring breeze with my coat slung over my shoulder and animated birds and whistling zippity doodah because, you know, <laughs> Tom Tillis had taken out Kay Hagan and uh, Cory Gardner had taken out whatever Udall was representing Colorado, Mark Udall, I think. Uh, and there were there were other tough races around the country that all tended to go uh, the way of the Republicans. We don't know that that'll happen this time. Uh, we certainly hoped that happens this time. Uh, but if you're playing a lot of defense this year, it means you had a really good uh, year six years ago. That doesn't make you feel that great right now, but uh, it, it's the reason you have a majority. Out of all the election cycles we've had in the past decade, you know, if you're if you lean to the right, 
20, 2016 was like the unexpected gift that you weren't expecting with uh, Trump, or at least many people weren't. 2010 was the, you know, the, the invigoration of the Tea Party, the recognition that no, the Republican Party had not been reduced to a rump regional one. But man, you know, 2014 was just the 12 days of Christmas where you just kept finding <laughs> Republican wins in places you didn't expect. We got the governorship in, in Maryland. We weren't even trying for that one. <laughs> Larry Hogan was. But, you know, it was just one seat after another where you're like, yes, you know. Yeah, that was, that was a good year. It was. It was. Let's see if we can uh, replicate it, at least in some ways, uh, this year. All right. uh, Let's talk about uh, another good podcast. We really, really like ours, but another good one out there is the Jordan Harbinger Show, a podcast a lot of folks are listening to these days. Apple named it one of the best of 2018, and it's essentially aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker. And that way you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about how you should think about the most critical things going on in our world. You know, there's an episode for everyone, no matter what you're into. The show covers stories like how a professional art forger somehow made millions of dollars while being chased by both the feds and the mafia. That's when you know you're having a bad day, by the way. Being chased <laughs> by the feds is pretty bad. You know, you're, you're in a Richard Kimball type situation, but the feds and the mafia, that's when you know you're really having a rough day. Jordan's also done an episode all about birth control and how it can alter the partners we pick and how going on or off the pill can change elements of our personalities. There's lots of different topics. Uh, Some relate to politics, and as Jim just mentioned, others that don't. There's things like principles of investing with guest Ray Dalio or uh, the cyber war on America's elections with Harry Hurstie. So a lot of different things you can get informed about uh, without kind of the hysterical approach. It's actually feeding your brain useful information. So uh, for more information and to check out the podcast, go to jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe or search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. All right, Jim, let's talk about our bad martini now. And sadly, it's the same one as yesterday, only with a slightly different twist. Uh, There are still riots going on in Philadelphia, or at least there were last night. It all started uh, the night before, which I guess would have been, what, Monday night, uh, when a man brandishing a knife refused to put it down when his mother told him to, refused to put it down when the police told him to. And he kept coming at police with this knife that he would not put down and the police ended up shooting him and killing him. So that led to a lot of riots on Monday night and even more, it seems like, on Tuesday night. Uh, there were uh, shots all over social media and on at least Fox News last night of uh, folks looting everything from Walmart to other department stores and pretty much anything else in a variety of different neighborhoods in Philly. I think it spread from West Philly to North Philly. There were also uh, riots and protests in Brooklyn. Uh, There was another one in Washington due to an unrelated story about uh, a guy trying to get away from police on either a scooter or or some other device, and he ended up getting hit by another car and killed. And so that's apparently the police's fault, too. Eleven people shot last night in Philadelphia, none of them by the police, by the way. Looters essentially shooting other looters. And so that is the real problem, but Not if you're the New York Times. The New York Times has a writer named Eric Lipton, and he was responding on Twitter last night to a post on The Daily Caller. The Daily Caller post said, mass rioting and looting in Philadelphia following police shooting. Eric Lipton retweets that and says, watching my Twitter feed since last night, 
Very notable, the intensity of tweets from conservative voices looking to amplify slash draw attention to looting in Philadelphia. Yes, it happened. New York Times covered it as well. Just remarkable how conservatives want to elevate it. And so to the credit of the people who follow this guy's account, uh, they blasted him in the comment section here, including... Pray tell, what is the appropriate amount of coverage for mass looting and rioting in an American city? Uh, Every media outlet in the nation should be covering the coordinated looting, arson, and chaos in a major American city. And then another one. Remarkable that anyone has interest in a riot in one of the largest cities in the country. So, uh, Jim, it's, it's never about the story when it might reflect badly on liberals, especially this close to an election. It's the conservatives that are constantly pouncing. They are. And, uh, you know, from all the pouncing, you think I'd be in better shape. (laughs) You know, Greg, the first thought that comes to mind is I really don't understand why people in Philadelphia were rioting and and looting so violently last night. The Phillies weren't even in the World Series. (laughs) Uh, For those who there also were riots in in Los Angeles last night, but that's almost excusable. Ah, you know, the Dodgers won. Okay, that's justified. Between them and the Lakers, good year for L.A. this year, other than all the disasters. Um I think the reaction we see in that New York Times reporter indicates how, I don't know if, it's, if you become a news junkie or, or if you become really politically active, but you just kind of get into this mentality where your interest is not in what happens. Your interest in how what happens affects your side, your side either being the Democrats, your side being the Republicans, conservatives or liberals. What, you know, there's some sort of idea of, of, you know, I want the news to be a certain way. When something happens like a, a, you know, anti-abortion protester, you know, diehard activist shoots up an abortion clinic, but it hasn't happened that much, but it does happen every now and then. And it really makes those of us who are pro-life cringe because it's not in keeping with our values. It is in fact very much the, if you're, if you're shooting up at a bunch of people who can't shoot back, that's, that's really not pro-life. At that point, you're, you're not just pro-death, you're actively helping death. You're trying to, to end people's lives. Um, and so pro, genuine pro-lifers look at that and they, they, they cringe, they denounce it, they say that's not acceptable. That is not in a, you know, a way we're supposed to uh, influence policy in this country. No matter how wrong you think it is, you can't take a gun and start shooting people because they disagree with you. In the world of, uh, uh, I guess in the world of this New York Times reporter and probably a whole bunch of newsrooms, there's this mentality of, oh God, there's, there's rioting going on in Philly. It appears to be over a police altercation. The gentleman who was shot was uh, armed with a knife. Uh, you can, you know, some people, I, who was it the other day who was saying, you know, why, why did you shoot to wound or something like Wolf that? Wolf Blitzer. Um, Wolf Blitzer. And, and, you know, despite what, I know he's a member of the, the, the Impossible Mission Force, and maybe Tom Cruise makes it look easy. But in real life, no, it's not easy to shoot the gun out of somebody's hand or shoot the knife out of somebody's hand or, or something like that. You're generally aiming for center mass because you want to stop the guy who's coming at you with a knife. So you've got this very tragic situation and it's happening and it, you know, it's happening in Philadelphia. And lo and behold, you're seeing large numbers of African-Americans looting, rioting, committing violence. And understandably, people who root for the left, people who see, you know, see this as a very simple narrative of bad cops and innocent victims are uncomfortable by this because it basically you know, they, it suggests, that many of us have been believing for a while, that certain people use these shootings as an excuse that the looting and the riots don't really have that much to do with what actually happened. It's just basically almost like, um, I don't want to say a red flag in front of a bull, but it's some sort of signal to everyone. Oh, 
the police have done something that is controversial. Now it is your opportunity to run into the local Walmart and get that big screen TV you've been looking for. And it makes people think, oh, they're not actually protesting. They're not actually that upset about it. They're actually just kind of opportunistic and selfish and they don't actually care about the law. I can understand why that New York Times reporter reacted the way he did. But I think if you're trying to be a journalist, your obligation is to not react. Your, your first reaction cannot be, is this good for my side? Does this matter? Does this help the narrative I want? Because at that point, you're not in the news business, you're in the narrative business. And at that point, you're basically saying, look, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here for all the news that's fit to print. I'm here for all the news that's fit to print that will lead you to the conclusion that I want you to feel, which is that one side is good and the other side is bad. It is deeply frustrating what the riots are and looting are deeply frustrating, but also the degree to which certain people really don't want to look at it too hard because it could undermine the side they like. Um, once you're doing that, Greg, you're just not in the news business anymore. No, it's about activism. And looking at uh, Mr. Lipton's Twitter bio, investigative reporter, NYT, helping cover President Trump and the Trump administration, dash, without fear or favor. I write about people and power. Jim, it's... Uh, Really weird when folks on the left, particularly in the media, uh, you also see this in Hollywood sometimes where liberals will come out and say, I don't care what it does to my career. I'm voting for Joe Biden. And you're like, um, <laughs> that's only going to help you probably. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the day a studio head says, look, you're not playing that superhero anymore because you voted for Biden. Uh, you know, then I'll take it seriously. Hey guys, it's Mock and Daisy from the Chicks on the Right, and we're excited to tell you about our podcast, the Mock and Daisy Common Sense Cast. If you've been stressed lately with the information overload on social media, or just don't feel like anything in the news makes sense anymore, don't worry, because we're here to clear things up. Every week, we discuss topics like cancel culture, national crisis, what's happening to our new generations, and if you're just plain tired of people trying to tell you what to do or how to live your life, we tackle that too. Find out more by going to our website, chicksontheright.com, or start listening on the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, or your favorite favorite podcast app. Don't forget to leave a comment or review and subscribe. All right, here we go into our crazy martini now, Jim. And uh, this has been out there for a couple of weeks, uh, but we cannot let this go unaddressed. California's rules for Thanksgiving, and it's really for all gatherings, but it's uh, being applied to Thanksgiving gatherings as well. This is from California Governor Gavin Newsom in the California Department of Health. Mandatory requirements for all gatherings. Section 1, attendance. Gatherings that include more than three households are prohibited. This includes everyone present, including hosts and guests. That means if you are uh, a parent of adult children and if you have more than two kids, they can't all come to Thanksgiving. Sorry, not this year. Gather outdoors. Uh, gatherings that occur outdoors are significantly safer than indoor gatherings. All gatherings must be held outside. Attendees may go inside, thank you government, to use restrooms so long as the restrooms are frequently sanitized. Gatherings may occur in outdoor spaces that are covered by umbrellas, canopies, awnings, roofs, and other shade structures provided that at least three sides of the space, or 75%, thank you public school math, are open to the outdoors. A gathering of no more than three households is permitted in a public park or other outdoor space, even if unrelated gatherings of other groups up to three households are also occurring in the same park or other outdoor space. If multiple such gatherings are occurring, 
Mixing between group gatherings is not allowed. Additionally, multiple gatherings of three households cannot be jointly organized or coordinated to occur in the same public park or other outdoor space at the same time. This would constitute a gathering exceeding the permitted size. Oh, now we get on to face coverings. People at gatherings are allowed to remove their face coverings briefly to eat or drink as long as they stay six feet away from everyone outside their immediate household and put their face covering back on as soon as they're done with the activity. Face coverings can also be removed to meet urgent medical needs. Jim, you're allowed to take off your mask to use an inhaler or take medication. That's nice of the government. Also, gatherings should be less than two hours. Uh, Also, singing, chanting, and shouting strongly discouraged, but if you're going to do it, you must wear a face mask. And instrumental music is allowed so long as the musicians maintain six feet of physical distancing. So, Jim, doesn't it just give you the warm fuzzies that the government's telling you exactly how to run your Thanksgiving celebration in your own home? Greg, I don't live in California, but if I did, I would want a version of the Gadsden flag (laughs) with a hand holding a turkey leg saying, come and take it. Um, So one of the things that comes to mind is, is, you know, first of all, Maybe in California, the weather's nicer in late November. But uh, one thing that comes to mind, Greg, have you ever been to an outdoor Thanksgiving meal? Never. I'm from Michigan. Right? I, you know, <laughs> I, I'm usually around Philadelphia and the New Jersey area. And so usually we're, we're indoors. It's usually pretty cold and windy and miserable. Maybe you go out and you play you know, a little football on the lawn or something like that. But by and large... It's a, uh, you know, it's pretty darn, you know, cold and chilly out there. Now, maybe it'll be okay in certain parts of California. The second thing, did the government really just need to give you a permission slip to say you are allowed to take off your mask to use an inhaler on Thanksgiving? (laughs) Did Californians really need that spelled out for them? I'm relatively pro-mask, but the idea that, you know, we need to to specify, look, he's having an asthma attack. Give him his inhaler. No, no. (laughs) <laughs> Got to keep the mask on. Let's see if we can get it through the cloth or through that Z95 one or something like that. And then I think I saw somewhere else that said, you know, in addition to the singing regulations you laid out, that they wanted people to sing at a, you know, low volume. One, how are you going to enforce any of this stuff? Are there going to be Thanksgiving cops roving around looking for people eating outside? Look, folks, you know, right now it looks like we're having another uptick in cases. It's pretty dramatic. We're not out of this pandemic yet. You know, I think every family is kind of looking at this question of like, okay, how do we do Thanksgiving this year? What is what is the safe one? This whole idea of three households. I mean, basically, it's like you and your family, maybe grandma and grandpa, and then the other grandma and grandpa. Sorry, you're out of do, you're out of luck. You can't come, or or you can do it. We can have you, but we can't have we can have our uncle and our aunt, but not the other one. But that's it. Three households. Look, people are going to have to use their best judgment. If you're feeling sick, stay home. Um, a lot of places testing is up in a lot of places. So if you're Feeling nervous? Maybe you get tested beforehand. Do a little check to see if, you, if you're any of that kind of stuff. Um, I am worried about Thanksgiving gatherings being an event. But when, you're, when, when people are asking people to basically give up their Thanksgiving holiday and conceivably give up their Christmas holiday about a month later, uh, look, you're, you're, you're not, you know, you're just going to have a very, very tough time getting people to not do that. We've been in various pandemic conditions and, and restrictions since March you know, people have a limited amount of patience for giving up the, the daily routines of their lives, and not just the daily routines, but I think the things that make them special, the people who uh, I have often found myself crossing swords with, uh, you know, who, are, who believe that the quarantine restrictions are uh, unconstitutional and oppressive and all that stuff. Look, they have a valid point when they say some of these things are what make life living. 
for some of these, you know, people like spending time with your family around the holidays, like you're looking forward to that all year. They're, they're some of the best days of the year. And we this, this pandemic has already taken so much of us. So in the end, the government should be trying to say, OK, here's how you can do this and do this safely. And giving them this laundry list of, you know, of restrictions and regulations and no, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. I, I don't think you're going to get a great deal of obedience to these restrictions, Greg. And that's probably going to be bad. And I think part of it is that uh, the likes of Gavin Newsom have already depleted all of their uh, public trust and I think uh, respect for their authority through the first nine months or so of this uh, pandemic. Jim is correct. It says people who are singing or chanting are strongly encouraged to do so quietly at or below the volume of a normal speaking voice. And so two things here, Jim. First of all, I think you're going to have a local, a lot of local police and sheriff's departments saying, uh-huh, sure. Yeah, we'll get right on the enforcement of this. I mean, <laughs> the sound of them crumpling it up and tossing <laughs> it in the waste paper basket. It reminds me of um, Hillsdale College, uh, my alma mater. They postponed their commencement. It's usually in May. They moved it to July. But uh, Governor Whitmer had still had uh, pretty extensive restrictions in place. Uh, Hillsdale took it seriously. They were taking everyone's temperature. They put everybody six feet apart. They did it on the football field and instead of indoors like they usually do. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and Whitmer's administration still didn't want uh, it to go forward. Uh, they said, we expect local law enforcement to do their job. Local law enforcement said, yeah, we're not, we're not doing anything about this. And so it went forward. And secondly, uh, this whole lineup here, I know, that, you know, in a pandemic situation, you can give uh, guidelines and so forth. But this is almost the exact opposite of the Constitution, which says, basically, we give the government these rights and the people have all the rest. This one's saying the government is, OK, we'll let you do this. We'll let you do this. And we'll let you do this. But only if you do it this way. Um, not exactly what we expect in this country. No. And look, I think there's going to have to be a serious reckoning after this pandemic is done, because, look, are there governors, are there mayors, are there authorities who have tried to uh, walk this tightrope carefully and to not make excessive arbitrary judgments or some of that? Sure. Sure. There are. I think I, I think a lot of them have tried to make good decisions. Has enforcement always been good? No. And by the way, before you announce this big sweeping rule, you probably should talk to law enforcement, uh, you know, leadership to say, is this even plausible? Is this even enforceable? Is this something if we say you can't do X, are you guys in a position where you can enforce? No, you can't do X. Because as we observed earlier in this pandemic, seeing cops ticketing the guy on the surfboard or the mom on the playground or the guy on the bus in Philadelphia, I think all of that made people say this is uh, egomaniacal, narcissistic politicians getting to play God, getting to say, you know, getting everybody in public to say, mother, may I, before they do anything that they're used to doing in their daily lives. It has been so it's like eaten away at public trust like acid. And that's, you know, we shouldn't be in this situation. We should have better leaders who are more trustworthy, who have better judgment, who are. Uh, capable of carefully calibrating the restrictions they attempt to enforce. Uh, you know, Gavin Newsom just is not... We're very close to putting ourselves in a situation, Greg, where we can say, way to go, California. Way to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. We'll leave you with that insanity for now. We'll have some more tomorrow, I'm sure. Jim, see you then. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Don't forget to check out the Jordan Harbinger Show, jordanharbinger.com slash subscribe. Also, subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We're always grateful for a five-star rating and a kind review. Remember, you can also get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Have a great day, and please join us Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.